Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Welcome to the Truth to Power show. This, this is your host, VJR Nathan, and this is Radio Free Brooklyn. On today's episode, we're going to be welcoming uh, Stephanie Berger, who is a poet, multimedia artist, event planner, entrepreneur. She's the CEO of the Poetry Society of New York and co-creator of the Poetry Brothel, the New York City Poetry Festival, and the Typewriter Project. She's, she is the author of In the Madame's Hatbox and translator of The Grey Bird, 13 Emoji Poems in Translations. Uh, Stephanie, Stephanie's poetry and translations have appeared in dozens of magazines, and her work has been covered in dozens more. Other honors include Artist Residency at the University of West Florida, and uh, 2015 Now Writing Award and grants from Lower Manhattan Cultural, Cultural Council, New York Community Trust, etc. Um, she received her MFA in poetry from the New School and taught in the English Department at Pace University and Berkeley College. To book a secular reading or inquire about her work, you can reach her at sp at poetrysocietyny.org. So please stay tuned for, the full, for the, uh, our interview today. Thank you. At the end of the interview, I'm going to be talking about... Uh, my experiences at Landmark Forum and my journey, my personal journey, as well as um, giving an invitation to the listeners of this program, especially an invitation to listen to this program. So please stay tuned for the full episode. Thank you. So this is the uh, Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, Vijay R. Nathan. I'm here with Stephanie Berger. I'm going to start the conversation with a question about your background and where you were born and uh, uh, where did you live most of your life you growing up? Okay, yeah. Um, thanks for having me on the show, by the way. Yeah, um, great to have you. Thanks. Um, so I grew up in San Diego, California. That's where I was born and raised. Um, my parents were both professors. Uh, my mom studied French history, so I spent a lot of time in France growing up. Um, went to school in Paris in third and fourth grade. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So you went to school in Paris? Uh, did you, they move there? or? Yeah, we yeah. lived there while my mom was doing research for uh, her book on the gardens of Versailles. Wow, wow, that's very interesting. And uh, how did you start to get into poetry, or what was your influences early on? Did you Was it early on that you started? Yeah. yeah. Um, I started writing, well, I think I started um, speaking poetry from like a very, very small age. My mom actually said that I used to like come and wake her up in the morning when I was a super little kid and just whisper like random words into her ear (laughs) one at a time. Um, The first poem that I ever remember writing, I was eight. It was called Dog and Cat Baseball at Sunset. And it was about a team of dogs and a team of cats playing baseball against each other. Excellent, excellent. So <laughs> I think a lot of times people think of poetry as being so formal and so, yeah. up, you know, our academic. It's nice to see that you recognize uh, that you're kind of fostering the idea that poetry can just be, you know, as this the kind of spontaneous, uh, spontaneous production of verse or spontaneous production of... So can you get a little bit more into, like, uh, you just get more of the, the lens through which you're seeing kind of these things and, and seeing it in the, in the form of poetry, right? Would you say or sure? Um, I mean, I definitely r- really respect people who are able to create poetry spontaneously. Uh-huh. Um, I would say that that isn't necessarily me personally, just because um, 
I tend to revise and edit my work like quite a lot. But um, yeah, the Poetry Brothel, which is like one of my main projects, is very much improvisational, um, both in terms of the poetry and then also just in terms of the show itself and the interactions between people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of the poets involved in that show do do spontaneous poetry. Um, I do sometimes do spontaneous typewriter poetry. Uh-huh. So um, that's one thing that I kind of enjoy. I did that um, in September for opening ceremonies, New York Fashion Week events. I sat and typed poems out for people in the lobby to the event. It oh, was excellent. Fun. And before we get to Poetry Brothel and yeah. kind of it's sure. uh, that, I just want to continue on the kind of the trajectory of your life and how you kind of uh, your personal journey into poetry and how your influences along the road before. Uh, before establishing uh, Poetry Brothel. Yeah. So um, as you started to grow up uh, and you had the influences of your parents being in academia and, you know, learning all the cultural things, uh, was, was there an injunction or a uh, major point in your life in college or that you started to really uh, percolate with a specific school or was it, was it always been kind of spontaneous, more like that kind of thing? Or was there any particular schools that of, of poetry that you kind of really grew into? Um. Well, so uh, one of my parents' very good friends growing up was Jerome Rothenberg, Mm -hmm. um, who's kind of like the father of ethnopoetics. So I guess I feel sort of tied to him and that tradition, just having like grown up around that person. They were also good friends with David Anton, who is like more of a conceptual poet. So I think I've always thought of poetry as... um, you know, something that goes beyond the page, um, Mm. that goes beyond even just like the performance of the words. Like, um, there's so many different things that you can do with it. So, um, I feel, I feel kind of rooted in those two traditions in a way. Um, my father was also really into poetry and wrote a lot of poetry and he, Mm was a huge fan of like Ezra Pound and T.S. Eliot. So, um, you know, part of my connection with my father was around like kind of, you know, those like super established, like elite um, modernist poets. Yeah. yeah. Uh, And then when you go into like um, when you move into like a spontaneous verse or spontaneous thing, what is guiding you or what is the uh, compass that you're using to determine kind of the form or give the thing, give the, uh, give the verse form or what is kind of when you, when you spontaneously, when you say spontaneous verse, do you mean spoken word? Spoken word. Yeah. That's okay. a good way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. Cause I think of spoken word more as like memoir based, but uh-huh. if you can expand a little bit more on kind of how your vision or how the vision that you've been taught of poetry, how that, uh, is defined or how that can be. Uh, I don't think it. of myself personally mm-hmm. as a spoken word poet. Yeah. That isn't really like, Um, the tradition of poetry that I came up in, which Mm -hmm. I think is different than a lot of young people nowadays, because a lot of people do come up like through that spoken word tradition. But I think just because I had this kind of like unique childhood where I got to spend time around poets in academia, even, Mm -hmm. you know, which is not something that most people get to do. um, I came at it from kind of a more, I guess, I want to say academic perspective, but um, the kind of academic perspective where it's like historical. So I'm not just, you know, 
kind of rooted in um in like the american classics if yeah you know what i mean and yeah. also i was trying to get out was that the idea that a yeah. lot of people seem to think of poetry as like very structured in in uh um you know a b a b kind of mm-hmm. you know this kind of rhyming right. or yeah. having a structure of meter oh, so like all these verse. kinds of free verse i yeah. definitely think that you're kind of in that tradition of free verse yeah and then um you know but even within free verse it seems like there's a lot of rules and a lot of uh you know structure to it so mm-hmm. when you think about spontaneous kind of set, going up on a stage and kind of spontaneously reciting lines that it's almost like an improv based would you say or how is it or they have like a, a in improv too there's also like a structure of like you know, you're kind of hit, hitting certain beats and you're responding or paralleling with certain um, scenes. So mm-hmm. I'm curious of how the process works when you spontaneously are creating verses like throughout your life or like. Yeah. I don't I don't do that kind of spoken no, word. Yeah, no, I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I sit and compose my poems okay. for the most part. Yeah. Um, I sit and write them. Yeah. It's, okay. it's difficult for me to compose poetry just by oh, speaking yeah. it. That's. That's not something that I personally do. Okay. Um, other poets that I work with a lot and collaborate with do do that, mm-hmm. but that's not that's not an area where I feel like particularly confident. I guess oh, okay. I I know how to improvise as kind of like an actor person. I guess, uh-huh. um, but I don't I don't sort of combine that with my poetry. My poetry is definitely something that I write down, mm. and I can compose. Um, sort of spontaneously writing mm-hmm. um but s- speaking it i don't i don't do that oh, okay, yeah good, good. does that make sense yeah it makes sense yeah, yeah i just yeah. clarify that because uh i yeah. think as uh, when i went to i'd gone to just to skip ahead that you had established about the talk about the poetry brothel yeah when you establish that and the uh guiding philosophies when you talk about how you establish the poetry brothel and what age or what what time period 10 years ago it's the 10th anniversary of the establishment of poetry yeah. brothel so you can talk a little bit about your uh, sure. establishment of that. With the yeah, so I mean, so the Poetry Brothel obviously is incredibly performative and there are a lot of poets involved in the Poetry Brothel. I would say like probably a good like third of them mm-hmm. who do do spontaneous um, spoken word. But um, part of the reason I actually like started the Poetry Brothel in the very beginning was to create a reading series where like complicated poetry, poetry that gets, you know, um, edited to death and poetry that is like a written poem um, where poetry like that can be accessed by like a more mainstream public. Um, Because my feeling is that poetry is better one-on-one. So one of the main things about the poetry brothel, in addition to these like very performative moments that we have on the stage is the element of the private reading and the nice thing about a private reading is that you're sitting next to the poet and if they're reading to you out of their journal for instance um, as an audience member you can be looking at that journal with them and you can be reading the words on the page and sort of like talking to the poet about them and it's a it's a way to make uh, written poetry a little bit more fun, intimate, engaging, accessible. Um, because my feeling was that uh, that there were a lot of spoken word events that mm-hmm. were like, you know, pretty lively and fun in New York City 10 years ago. But there weren't a lot of poetry readings like within the more academic sphere 
that had any kind of, I don't know, jubilance and like liveliness to them. They were all kind of like buttoned up. So uh, I decided to unbutton things a little bit with the poetry brothel. Yeah, definitely. I see that uh, because I visited the holiday party. Yeah. I got the chance, the fortunate opportunity to come to one of your parties, one of the poetry brothels parties. And um, the experience was that one of the, the conducive of, you know, Jo- jovial or party atmosphere kind of they had a uh you know performance burlesque mm-hmm. they had uh acrobats and such doing like a performance as well as some readings mm-hmm. um and definitely i i agree that the uh, the private readings that you model after i guess um the language used is kind of mimicking the the um the, what we see is the, in this in the kind of adult entertainment strip clubs or, or, or brothels using the john you know the person who's getting the reading is considered the john and then the reader comes and goes in a, uh, to a side room and uh, you receive kind of an intimate moment where you're like, you're listening to the, the person uh, read a poem. And it's, it kind of um, creates that kind of intimate space that you're, yeah. you're talking about. That I definitely agree. And um, yeah, I would say the question would be just that, uh, you know, the idea that you're bringing together um, the, the purpose of poetry, but mainly to make that human connection and how you uh, how that how you facilitated that process, you know. And uh, we can talk a little bit more about um, the creation of it as an organization. So I understand there was some um, uh, kind of steps you had to do uh, to create Poetry Brothel and then Poetry Society of New York was yeah. the umbrella organization. We talk a little bit about that process. Yeah, yeah. sure. So um, <clears throat> I started the Poetry Brothel with uh, uh, my creative partner, Nicholas Adamski, about, uh, about 10 years ago now while we were at the new school. Um, a couple years after that, we had some money coming in and out of the poetry brothel. You know, we were selling tickets and we were paying performers. And, um, so we, we decided that we wanted to open up a business checking account in order to do that. In order to do that, we had to form a business. We tried to form a business called the poetry brothel and the state of New York was like, no, you can't do that. (laughs) And we were like, why? And the state of New York was like, a brothel is an illegal activity. And we were like, oh, (laughs) so um, we thought of the name, the Poetry Society of New York, because we thought it sounded about 200 years old (laughs) and like very established. Um, And we asked them if the Poetry Society of New York was okay, And they said, yes. So we became the Poetry Society of New York um, just to establish a production company for the Poetry Brothel, essentially, initially. Um, and But the funny thing about that was we had, been, uh, we had started applying for, for grants and um, residencies and things like that for the Poetry Brothel for maybe a year before that and hadn't had any luck. Um, nobody had, nobody had wanted to work with us at that point. And as soon as we became the Poetry Society of New York, we started applying for grants and residencies and we started getting things. Um, so that was kind of funny. We ended up getting, um, getting a residency for the Poetry Brothel on Governor's Island. Governor's Island has like these old colonial houses all over it that used to house, um, officers in the military Mm -hmm. 
And so we turned one of these houses into the poetry brothel. We put, you know, four beds in the four bedrooms and turned the parlors into luxurious smoke-filled dens. And we um, created an immersive poetry brothel on the island every weekend for a month. But when we first went out there to look at the space, we noticed, like, how incredibly beautiful Governor's Island is. We hadn't actually been out there before. And it is just filled with like giant lawns of green grass and um, and just like gorgeous 100-year-old trees everywhere. And Nick and I had been talking about wanting to start some kind of poetry festival kind of just in passing before. It was kind of more like, I can't believe New York doesn't have a poetry festival but then we thought we looked a little bit into doing events in parks because we had wanted to do the poetry brothel in Central Park one summer and discovered that it's very expensive to do a ticketed event in Central Park or Prospect Park or any of the NYC parks. Um, so, w- yeah, we looked at these you know giant lawns of grass and we thought, what a perfect place for the festival since we were already doing a residency out there. We asked Governor's Island if it would be all right if we did a festival out there. They said yes. And that's how the New York City Poetry Festival was born. Um, And that is the second main project of the Poetry Society of New York. Uh, This -hmm. year, 2018, will be our eighth annual festival. Um, And the New York City Poetry Festival is just a gathering of all of the poets and all of the audiences for poetry in New York City, all of the people that we can muster. It's totally free and open to the public. Um, Anyone can host a reading at the festival and curate a group of readers if they have some kind of collective or magazine or organization. Um, There's an open mic. There's a kids festival. Uh, Yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's supposed to have like, a summertime fun like music festival vibe but mm-hmm. for poetry yeah and so. i've been to one of the festivals where they also have like readings tower readings or like mm-hmm. um what is it uh, like psychic readings this kind of thing along those lines so there's lots yeah. of other arts that seems like the the performers engage with that are related to um the vibe that i get from yeah this definitely. Kind of thing. yeah i think a lot of poets are really interested in um tarot and kind mm-hmm. of various forms of mysticism i think yeah. that they're kind of interrelated yeah very drawn to that but yeah. why don't we take a moment to listen to a poem of yours oh. and then uh we can come back to the conversation but i'll give you a chance to give a little intro to the poem and then we can go ahead and then when you're ready okay sounds great um <clears throat> I think I will start with a poem called Nothing Land. Um, it's a poem that was published recently in Pouch Magazine. And um, it goes like this. <clears throat> Nothing Land. Enter the landscape like a bride. When they gasp, assume it is your beauty they are gasping at. When they cry, pretend it is your love. Entering the gorge like a groom and you wait for a long time for the river to rush into you. On the bluffs, above the crag of your soul, I am trying to capture the magic of discovering a pomegranate tree 
where there was none, I am trying to give up the notion of likeness altogether. I laid down in the lagoon like a straight flush, like a child bride, so baroque she was the end of art, flaunting and squandering its resources. Now she keeps a little blue dream on a shelf like a bottle of brandy. Visions of the infernal feminine surging inside, you drove a painting of a bright blue truck through a hailstorm in my head. Now my heart is a canoe in the middle of a lake with no paddles. With nothing commercial in her appearance, she was still a gleaming toy of history, a luxury of literature. The voices of two men chattering ominously in the distance, the echoes made tantalizing by their shortcomings. Who are you when no one is watching? How is a canyon like a writing desk? They both blow smoke, oh gentle fire, I am waiting to be blown in some direction. The way the shadow of the showerhead at work resembles a jellyfish, so too does my own head work. Generically gypsy, she grew weary of preparation and connection and illustration, of trying to screw up the courage to fall into his soft funereal hands. It's all a surface. Grief so shallow you might enjoy it in time. I hope to think aphoristically, aristocratically. Dear me, am I walking? I suppose I must be. I am learning to be lively, to stimulate my appetite. How did I come to such a deep knowledge of pleasure? Through a deep pleasure in knowledge, the Greeks called an unmarried woman an anecdote, the definition of which was not yet set in print. She was about to draw the lines out on her thighs and on the sheets and multiply and divide herself by a broad-chested body of water, by a stroke of exquisite simplicity and singleness of heart, she wandered until a honey-colored moon appeared overhead. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. So nice, so evocative with the language and such a great um, images. It creates imagery. Thank so, you. Um, so now... Uh, Poetry Bothell, also you're talking, you kind of mentioned a little bit about the typewriter uh, inspired things. If you can go a little bit more deep into kind of the other associated uh, projects that Poetry Society is working on, in addition to Poetry Bothell, you mentioned a little bit of typewriter. If you can go a little bit more into that, a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, so we started the typewriter project back in 2014. Um, the typewriter project is... Uh, a series of interactive art installations. Basically, we put a little like wooden writing studio for one in various places, parks, art galleries, bookstores, kind of anywhere. Um, we put a typewriter inside. The typewriter is augmented with digital sensors underneath the keys, so all of the text becomes computer-readable text. Um, and it all goes directly to a website, subconsciousofthecity.com. Um, and so the idea is that anyone can sit down and type on this typewriter. All of the text also goes onto 
a hundred foot long scroll Mm -hmm. that's going through the typewriter. So you get like the physical document, um, which feels like very archival and historic or something. And then um, you have all of this text also just getting like kind of shot up into the cloud and onto the internet. So um, yeah, the idea behind it is to basically kind of discover what different places uh, sound like, what people's subconscious sounds like in those various places. We also kind of just wanted to give people the opportunity to type on a typewriter yeah. because it's um, it's actually really fun and it I think that it makes you write in a different way just because of the the quality of the keys, the sound that it makes. Um, knowing that you can't just like hit delete, you Mm. kind of, it makes you like stop and think about it more, I guess. So the people are just coming in, kind of writing a few lines and then the next person might come in and and add to that. They're able to see previously what's been written. So So it becomes kind of like a collaborative diary or collaborative poem. Mm -hmm. Um, We were kind of inspired by the concept of an exquisite corpse, which is a surrealist writing exercise where um, like many different authors will contribute to a single poem and they'll just they'll pass the paper around so that you can only see the line that was written before yours. Mm-hmm. Um, That's very interesting. I think it's great to be able to have the audience come in where participants come in and approach, you know, poetry, which sometimes uh, can be seen as very, you know, out there, or very kind of scholar in a, in a book and kind of engage with it and be able to participate with it and have their own imprint on it. As you're saying, the subconscious, being able to see and get a temperature of like what people are going through, what people's on people's minds in different areas. It's very interesting. Yeah. 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 It's been cool to um, have the project in a lot of different places at this point because we've done maybe like 15 different installations of mm-hmm. it at this point, um, most of which were in New York City. But we also did one down in Raleigh, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And um, just, you know, the things that people were writing down there were just you know, leaps and bounds away from what people are writing here. You know, it's it's just a really interesting way to kind of discover what's on the minds of people in, in various places. Yeah, I'm sure that, uh, you know, as you, if you're interested in expanding it, that as you go on to different areas, you'll see more and more of a divide of like how people think differently or how people, what the temperature of different people's thoughts are in that moment and how they're able to explore those moments, you know, through this page. So it's all on the internet as well. As, yeah. As subconscious city said or subconscious of the city.com. Oh, great, yeah. Great. It's all up there. Yeah. So, um, also what I want to talk about was, um, you know, the, the themes of the show seem to be about the kind of connecting the personal spaces with more political or more like kind of a society, the public narrative that we have in this country and in the world. So, um, it seems like, uh, the, uh, your, your work towards, Bringing uh, divide, breaking that divide between the 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 kind of scholarly and the intimate, you know, it seems to be working towards that kind of demystifying poetry and and showing it to be accessible to the public or to people in general who seem to sometimes, you know, um, think of it as very kind of in the in the olden books and classrooms or something like that. So um, yeah, we go a little bit more into like how um, how it's had the effect of how it's been over the past ten years. You know how the feedback and and how your audiences have uh, responded to this idea of that bringing that intimate space into their lives. Yeah. 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 Um, 
Yeah, it's been it's been really amazing having, you know, audiences for the past 10 years um, coming to the poetry brothel and stopping to type on the typewriter project and having people have just these incredibly positive experiences with poetry when, Mm. you know, the majority of the time they'll say, like, I've never met a poet before or I've never written a poem or, you know, I haven't written a poem since I was 16 years old or um, I haven't read a poem since I was 14 years old. And, um, yeah, like, the people that come to the poetry brothel, honestly, for the most part, like, are not poetry people. Like, some of them maybe were, like, English majors or whatever, but um, I think a lot of people come to it because they think it sounds um, mysterious and strange and unique and they live in New York city and they want to do, you know, these like wild and crazy things that you can only find in New York city. And, um, and so they come and I think that people tend to be like genuinely surprised by how like moved they are. Um, in addition to being entertained, like they also end up having these really like special connections with people through poetry and, that ugh, it just makes me feel so good. It gives me goosebumps yeah. thinking about it. So that, yeah. yeah, it's nice. And also, I understand that the uh, you guys also offer uh, the opportunity for like private events and such, where you can host them or, or do event planning for that. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Can talk a little bit about that. And how, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's something that um, we've been you know expanding and trying to grow more and more recently. Um, you know, we have ten years now of event production experience like we're pros we're like really really good at putting on an event and a show and um and you know we want to bring poetry to people in like new and innovative and and crazy ways um so yeah we have become available for hire Uh for various poetry services if you know, you're a company that wants to incorporate some poetry into your advertising campaign. Like we are down to help you with that because we want to bring poetry to more people, you know. So um, we do private events. We do, you know, um, custom poetry. We can send poets to your event with typewriters or diaries or, you know, whatever you want, really. Mm-hmm. We're open to talking about things. Yeah, good, good. And yeah. um just to circle back about uh, your own journey towards this uh, this organization and such. So now, while being the uh, the madame, if you will, I think the title you use, mm-hmm. uh, how has that developed your own? And what have you written since starting this? How has that developed your own practice in writing? And we talk a little bit about your practice in writing, your personal practice in writing, and how it's developed the past ten years. And I think you've written two books. We mm-hmm. talk a little bit about your books and what they're about. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um... Wow, that's a good question. Um, I guess I would say that um, before I started the poetry brothel, I think that my work was maybe a bit like lighter and Mm. more funny and and kind of, um, I don't know, experimental and strange. And um, since I started the brothel, I've become like, more and more interested in connecting with like my inner power and like my inner goddess and you know being trying to um like 
reign over an event like the poetry brothel as the madame uh-huh. um, can be very intimidating. I mean, I'm a poet, you know, I grew up like being a little bit introverted and, you know, more of a writer than than anything else. And so um, finding a way to like connect with, you know, the the powerful goddess in me through poetry has been something that's been like a big part of um, developing my poetic practice over the past 10 years. I think Um, the madam is supposed to be like kind of an eternal creature. She was conceived at the beginning of time and she's like a mother to the muses almost. And um, the poetry horrors are, are, muses to her i guess and um so just to clarify for the audience this is all the uh personas that the um performers take on in part mm-hmm. of the poetry brothel so you come in and they have like a uh persona they're using that they have like a bio for mm-hmm. and then uh one of those personas is the madame that you take on other other yeah. performers take on other bios where yeah. they have created like a a persona for the stage. Yeah. In which case, just to clarify for people listening who may not be familiar. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Definitely. Yeah. Everybody mm-hmm. in the poetry brothel creates an alter ego. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of just to like, I don't know, free people up in a mm-hmm. way. Um, like exposing yourself in that way by reading like poems that you really care about to total strangers mm-hmm. can be kind of scary and intimidating. And if you like, create this really like powerful character um it's kind of easier to do that in a way um and we always um we always draw from this uh oscar wilde quote he said man is least himself when he talks in his own person give him a mask and he will tell you the truth that's great and that's super that's like that's what the alter egos are all about just like having the mask so that you're free to like really say what you want to say and be who you want to be good good yeah so um why don't we why don't we listen to another poem uh okay. we'll take a moment just to listen to another poem they can we can uh have a few more questions before we close and then um i'll give you a moment to... okay sounds yeah. good let's see a beautiful boyish insouciance Everything tough was a nail, and that was it before the flood came. Remember that time I had my aura read in the street on a sunny fall day, and it was a pool of silver and lavender and turquoise, and the woman hugged me and I gave her a cigarette? That was this morning. Do you remember the morning? Vitriol and violets, football and waiting and screaming for our eggs. Losing the cargo, the slippage, the impersonated planet became tame. I have never, ever been. We've never. And I can't keep sipping on the sip cup. You can't keep me in the slips like this. You can't keep me there and there, mounted like a flame, her delight in the dream of possessing this man. It promenaded straight without care into the domain of beauty, which does not sleep, but lies awake at night, dreaming with eyes open. Those eyes, when she chose, she could flood them with languors, sublimate Paris into a tropic frame, 
wet, trenchant, bellicose, pugnacious, but never frowsy. The melting measures proceeded, and the ice in her stare gave way to steam. It was as if she had dropped a curtain. My body holds a heart that cannot love. It holds another heart that cannot help but love. They are conjoined twins and all in black. Nothing but a pernicious, diseased animal. I want to fuck you with the most engorged part of my soul. Put it inside you. I am the man here, cerebral and happy, bad and abroad, bored and supportive, watching these women who are always walking by in their bodies. But I hate to boil it down to oversimplification. I would love to be focused, honest, and hardworking. I can't go on a date with you. Not today. I am too far away from the planet. Excuses fly like birds and... I saw them flying in your eyes. Literally, you stared into my eyes and I saw birds. But it's not like it was an intensely emotional experience. It was a nice morning. Good, good. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Very beautiful. Thank you. So um, as you close up, uh, I just want to talk a little bit more about how, you know, I think that there's definitely a lot of charged vocabulary, I think, for some people. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I think that what we're kind of hearing from you is that the idea of empowerment, you know, because mm-hmm. some, some people like, you know, they think of brothels being very kind of a charged triggering word. But I think that what I've kind of gotten from you is that the idea that uh, the performers and the, and the people involved are creating intimate spaces where the all everyone involved can feel empowered to uh, be themselves truly and find those spaces within themselves to uh, access for their own writing and, and empowerment. Yeah. So yeah, if you can expand a little bit more on kind of the themes of empowerment in the in the um, in your philosophy and the philosophy of the poetry brothel, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think that so the term poetry whore has been yeah. like triggering for a lot of people. I think, mm-hmm. um, especially recently with like everything that's been happening in the mm. media, we've been you know hearing from people about that word mm. uh, more and more, and actually having more and more conversations within the cast about it. Um, and yeah, the term poetry horror, like the reason that we use that word is to like reclaim it and turn it on its head to make horror like a word that is, that means like a goddess, you Mm. know, that means like a muse, like an amazing woman and person and, um, and, you know, and we understand that we're being um, inflammatory, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, it, it's supposed to be a little bit of a provocation. Um, it's supposed to make, you know, uh, men who come to the poetry brothel who, you know, cringe when they hear the word horror, yeah. um, you know, say, why am I cringing when I hear that when a woman is, like, calling herself that and I'm, you know, totally okay going to a strip club. You know, yeah. it's like it's supposed to make people kind of, think about these things and um and you know we've I would say that you know we feel um mixed emotions about using it sometimes because we do know that um it has like hurt and triggered certain people um Mm -hmm. particularly sex workers and that's um that's actually something that we uh are planning to um kind of work more and more to work with 
the sex work community mm. to help uplift and empower them. Um, it's it's our goal for 2018 um, to find some nonprofit charity organizations that we can work with to help um, fight for the rights of sex workers and offer them services and um, also just any sort of community that's felt marginalized by their sexuality. Um, we really do want to be a place um, for those people. And um, if anyone who identifies in that way, who happens to be listening to this show, like uh, I really hope that you'll come to the poetry brothel because we want to hear from you. Um, mm. We've actually recently started offering uh, 10 pay what you can tickets to every poetry brothel event because mm -hmm. we want to be as inclusive as possible and we realize that like not everyone can afford to pay 40 bucks so um, we really we do want to bring the people in that um, that do feel uncomfortable with the, the things that we're doing because I want people to understand that we're we're fighting for you yeah. you know so. and my experience of going to the thing and going to the holiday party and having experience in the atmosphere, I think mm -hmm. it's very much about kind of uh, understanding and being reflective on that vocabulary because they do include, um, you know, kind of information they, uh, about consent and about all these kind of things. So it's, it's very clear to me that the organization is moving towards, you know, very much empowerment, very much a reflective kind of meditative space within sexuality, within intimacy, be able to reflect on that and become more aware, highly or mindful of yeah. how we, you know, in that space, maybe uh, we have a certain vocabulary, but being also be bringing it out to outside to know how we're using these words and how we're using these uh, intimacies in our own life. And I think that space might be a good way to reflect on that. So that's very good. But um, so now also, finally, uh, we'll just close out with um, kind of talking a little bit about um, kind of the business aspects and stuff like that and how you were talking a little bit about what your trajectory is for the business uh, you know, moving forward, you talked a little bit about that with the, the idea of connecting with uh, charity organizations and such. Mm -hmm. But is there any other goals or any other set goals for 2018? We just passed the new year yeah. and 10th anniversary. So if you have any set, other set goals or objectives that you have, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so uh, I think I, I touched on it briefly, but mm -hmm. we definitely want to be doing more and more private events mm -hmm. and um, working with businesses um to just expand poetry even more broadly. Um, so we had a really great experience this year at New York Fashion Week typing poetry out for people. And, you know, like my partner and I both wrote poems for like Edward Norton and stuff like that. And everybody just had so much fun. And we were like, we need to be doing more of this kind of thing if we really want to bring poetry to as many people as possible. So... We're definitely looking to do um, more private events. And um, one of our more kind of long-term goals for the next 10 years um, is to establish an upstate residency program mm -hmm. um, for writers. So um, that's something that we're actively going to be working towards. Um, we are working on developing a capital campaign right now in order to buy property up there. So, good, good. Um, yeah. And we uh, we had a really phenomenal year at the New York City Poetry Festival last mm -hmm. year as well. Um, 14,000 people came, oh, wow. which was about 10,000 more than we'd had at previous <laughs> years. Yeah. Um, so the expansion was kind of crazy. So 
we're really excited to kind of capitalize on that and and just kind of broaden and expand the festival more and more. Great, great. Yeah. Thanks so much. And um, if you have any closing thoughts, otherwise we'll just uh, we'll end the interview now. But uh, I just wanted to say that I definitely think you're coming up. You have several events coming up in New York. Mm -hmm. You have the 10th anniversary, but I think this uh, episode will air after that, the 10th anniversary party. But also in February, I believe you have. um, Yeah, we have uh, a February 13th event. Um, Mm -hmm. It's kind of a Mardi Gras Valentine's Day hybrid. It's Uh called Carnival of Love. Good, good. Um, So that should be fun. And we're doing, we've always joked about wanting to do an alien themed poetry brothel. um, And we're finally going to do it on March 6th at House of Yes. We're doing the poetry brothel area 51 excellent, so excellent. expect a lot of um extraterrestrials <laughs> and fbi agents <laughs> excellent thanks so much i thank really you. appreciate this interview thank you yeah thank sure you thing. So thanks thank for you. having me thank you this ends the interview portion of the truth to power show before we begin our song from uh song of the week i'd like to share a little bit from my experiences in my life and uh, talk a little bit about the Landmark Forum, which is an organization that presents teachings on ontology or the state of being and explores how our state of being is informed by language, how uh, language is the key to understanding or observing how events occur in language or through language. And they use a lot of techniques that... um, are presented over the course of a three-day course um, that goes from 9 a.m. in the morning until 11 p.m. at night, or 10 p.m. at night, sorry. Also, I want to put that in the context that I took that course over January 5th to 7th. In the context of my understanding, it was very much a powerful experience, and uh, my understanding comes from 10 years in Buddhism in Yukonampa tradition where I explored Buddhist ideas of emptiness, the theory or the foundational nature of reality that uh, mind creates reality and a series of conversations that are upcoming in the next month or so. I'm going to be talking to a lot of people about these transformative understandings of um, their experiences from their experiences and leading up to a conversation, more direct conversation about these themes and about these ideas um, and putting into context um, understanding that that our experiences are changeable and that we can't we have the power to transform our life that we have the power to make breakthroughs that we have the power to transform circumstances that we are in that we are not powerless that we are very that we can be empowered in that regard i'd like to extend a special invitation to our listeners to write in to truth to power show at gmail.com and give me feedback or tell me how you create this series in your mind, how it affects you, to be able to understand what impact this series is having on its listeners, for me to access the uh, experiences of those who are listening and be able to invite a person who writes in and gives their experience to come on the show and to co-create the show with me, to be able to understand how you see me, whether you've experienced me in person or uh, in, in the interactions or just through the show and be able to explore your own journey and your own uh, understandings. You may listen to the Bushwick Junction interview I did as well, where I was a guest on Bushwick Junction and explored my own life narrative, which uh, I've come to understand 
is part of a larger perspective that our lives are like dreamlike, have dreamlike qualities, that things in the past lose their grip when we see the dreamlike quality of the past. And we're able to understand or perceive that the only eternal moment is that moment that we're existing in right now. And I invite people to be able to articulate that through language and create that being, create that space of being in which, which we exist in and create a space for that moment of being in the present, of being here now. Um, I would like to invite them also to, I'd like to invite you guys also to think about where is this podcast? Like where is the, where is the experience of this podcast that the podcast exists in a space between us that exists in your mind that exists through your mind and inhabits the vessel of your mind and that it fills it with the voice the transmission that i'm trying to give you that whether or not that communication is happening is up to you to perceive to up to you to listen and i hope that that is communicating something and i hope that you'll reach out to me on truth to power show at gmail.com and express that in words to articulate that in words um, the experience that you're having so we're going to be listening to a song from I Am The Polish Army which is a song called You Don't Know and it, it kind of leads up to the next series of episodes which build up towards a place of acknowledging that I don't know um, and from that place of I don't know from that place of acknowledging that the events around me, the events I experience, the circumstances around me, and the events I experience are empty of meaning, that they're without inherent meaning, that I can choose to give them meaning based on what I wish my life to be, what I wish this experience to be. And I wish this experience to be something that transforms your life. I wish this experience to be something that allows freedom to inhabit your space of being. And that powerful wish, that powerful desire is something that I want to convey to you and I want to impart on you and that, that the possibility that it can happen. So <clears throat> once again, I invite you to write in to truthpowershow at gmail.com and express to me your wish for this show and your wish for yourself. And um, on our schedule on January 25th is poet Diana Delgado wherein we'll be discussing her poetry and experiences. On February 1st, we'll be discussing with, uh, I'll be discussing with poet Anum Sitar, uh, her perspectives on the presentation of poetry and how poetry could, her vision for how poetry can be presented. And then on um, February 8th, we're gonna, I'm going to be having a transformative conversation with uh, poet and translator Claire Van Winkle about uh, language, a little more specifically on language, leading up to the elemental questions that I'm going to be asking um, Rick Jaro, the question of identity of who am I and why am I here? And then we're going to be getting pretty deep in that conversation. So I hope you'll tune in. You'll stay tuned for the series of talks. So I really appreciate you listening and thank you very much. And now our song of the week by I Am The Polish Army called You Don't Know.
Keep slam on your reverse back up on Great Jones. Keep driving forward, get to my ex's house downstairs in the dark. When I went down, he said, Welcome to my world. He sat me down and asked me everything he could. So to say no, you don't know. Script, I'd like to read a passage from Swan's Way, Mar Marshall Prowse. I'm going to begin with the uh, opening passages. So, um, part one, Cambrai. For a long time, I would go to bed early. Sometimes, the candle barely out, my eyes closed so quickly that I did not have time to tell myself, I'm falling asleep. And half an hour later, the thought that it was time to look for sleep would awaken me. I would make as if to put away the book, which I imagined was still in my hands, and to blow out the light. I, 
I had gone on thinking while I was asleep about what I had just been reading, but these, thought t these thoughts had taken a rather peculiar turn. It seemed to me that I myself was the immediate subject of my book, the church, the quartet, the robbery between Francis and I and Charles V. This impression persists for some moments after I awoke. Did not offend my reason, but Lasik scales upon my eyes and prevented them from registering the fact that the candle was no longer burning. Then it would begin to seem unintelligible, as the thoughts of a previous existence must be after reincarnation. The subject of my book would separate itself from me, leaving me free to apply myself to it or not. At the same time, my sight would return, and I would be astonished to find myself in a state of darkness. Pleasant and restful enough for my eyes, but even more, perhaps, for my mind, to which it would appear incomprehensible, without a cause, something dark indeed. I would ask myself what time it could be. I could hear the whistling of trains, which, now nearer and now further off, punctuating the distance, like a note of a bird in a forest, showed me the pers in perspective the deserted countryside through which a traveler is hurrying towards a nearby station and the path he has taken will be engraved in his memory by the excitement induced by strange surroundings, by unaccustomed activities, by the conversation he has had and the farewells exchanged beneath the unfamiliar lamp that still echoes in his ears amid the silence of the night and the happy prospect of being home again. I would lay my cheek gently against the comfortable cheeks of my pillow as plump and fresh as the cheeks of childhood, I would strike a match and look at my watch, nearly midnight, the hour when an invalid who has been obligated to sit out on a journey and to sleep with a strange sleep in a strange hotel, awaking by a sudden spasm, sees with glad relief a streak of daylight shadow showing under his door. Thank God it is morning. The servants will be bowed in a minute. He can ring and someone will come to look after him. The thought of being assaged gives him strength to endure his pain. He is certain he heard footfalls. They come nearer and then die away. The ray of light beneath his door is extinguished. It is midnight. Someone has just turned down the gas. The last servant has gone to bed and must lie all night suffering without remedy. I would fall asleep again and therefore thereafter would reawaken for short snatches only, just long enough to hear the regular creaking of the wainscot, or to open my eyes to stare at the shifting kaleidoscope of the darkness, to savor in a momentary glimmer of consciousness the sleep which lay heavily upon the furniture, the room, that whole of which I have formed, no more than a small part, and whose insensibility I should very soon return to share. Or else, while sleeping, I drifted back to an early stage in my life, now forever outgrown, and come under the thrall of my childish, childish terrors, such that an old terror of my great-uncle's pulling my curls would effectually expel on that day the dawn of a new era to me.